Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8, the title of this message is, Here, Send Me. Here, Send Me. This statement seems to come from someone excited to go somewhere. Someone willing to volunteer to go. Someone who is enthusiastic, and you understand, the enthusiastic comes from uh, two Greek words, in theos, in, inside, full of, or and theos, God. So it's a person that is full of God. God is inside of them, full of God. And this is very important for us to understand because 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, for the eyes of the Lord. They run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So from this verse, we can see that God is looking and searching for people to use, people who are enthusiastic about him, people who are full of God. However, what will make a person say to God, here am I, send me. This is the subject of these verses because I believe that God is still looking and searching for people who will echo these words. So what happened to Isaiah to make him say these words that we will see in verse 8? Whatever it was that happened to him, it needs to happen to all of us. Oh, I say this because most people who call themselves Christians are content with just coming and sitting in a chair at church Sunday after Sunday, or as I spoke a message, I taught a message some years ago, I called it convenient Christianity, which seems to be Christianity that permeates America. We come to church or we serve God only when it's convenient for us. If there's some sporting events of the kids, if there's some other pressing issue, or if we're tired, or if our fingernail broke, we, 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 we don't come to church. We only serve God when it's convenient. Or when we're going to hit God up this week with something, we're going to come to church and kind of sit and endure church because we know we're going to try to hit God up this week for some kind of request of ours. And I call it convenient Christianity. It permeates America. We have what I call spare tire religion. You said, what do you mean? Oh, we, we don't think of our spare tire in our trunk only when we have a flat. That's the only time we think of our spare tire. And so often, we don't think of God. We don't think of prayer. We don't think of worshiping God only when we have a flat in life. Then we come running to God. I call it convenient Christianity. And many people lack desire, lack enthusiasm about God. Oh, we can shout for our team because you know it's football season, it's the NFL, it's college, and we can shout, we can, whoa, we can paint our face and put on our jerseys, and we're so enthusiastic about our team. 
but we come in church and we're very dignified and as we used to say back home, sedity, very dignified. But we can be enthusiastic about everything but God. So what happened to Isaiah to make him say, here am I, send me, to make him excited to go, to make him enthusiastic to go. Whatever it is that happened to him, I know it needs to happen to all of us here. Because many of you, you're content with just coming and sitting in the chair. You have no desire to serve. You have no desire for God, no desire for the Word of God and the things of God. You just want to come and sit in the chair and you okay, sing a few songs, hear a little message, and then go back to your life. Where's the enthusiasm? Where's the excitement? Where's the, where's the, 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 the gumption of wanting to go for God and do for God? Hey, these people are about to go to Brazil. Oh, you don't have to necessarily go to Brazil and thank God that they're going. You don't have to go across the seas. You can go across the street. You can go across the cubicle. You can go on the other side of the building. You can go next door to your neighbor, and many of you can care less about your neighbor. You see him coming and you like, or you pretend you're on your phone. Whatever it is that happened to Isaiah, we're gonna see it needs to happen to us. Look what it says there in verse one. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The first thing we gather from this verse is that Isaiah had an encounter with the Lord. And he gives us the setting or the time period that this encounter took place. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. Uh, this will put it around the time period of 740 B.C. Second Chronicles 26, verses 1 to 3, it tells us that Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king of Judah, and he reigned for 52 years. Oh, he was a good king, and under his leadership, the nation of Israel rose to incredible heights politically, financially, and militarily. Second Chronicles 26, verse 5 says, as long as he, referring to Uzziah, sought the Lord, God made him prosper. He was also a very incredible inventor, and he made new weapons of war for Judah that caused the other nations to marvel at them. So surely everyone's eyes were upon him. However, Isaiah tells us something very strange, something that I think is odd. Something that I thought was bizarre that caused me to pause, that caused me to hit the brakes, to not be so quick to go on to the next set of verses. Something so strange. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and his train of his robe filled the temple. It is as if Isaiah is saying that Uzziah, Uzziah was keeping even him from seeing the Lord. What is Uzziah in your life that is keeping you from seeing the Lord? What needs to die before you can see God? Maybe it's self. 
Maybe you worship before the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. And you bow down. Everything has to be about you. You're everything, the, the, the whole home is surrounded around you. You think that you're the universe, that everything surrounds around you. On the job, it's about you. At home, it's about you. The marriage is about you. And you worship before me, myself, and I. Maybe self needs to die. Hey, it seemed to be the indication with the Apostle Paul. He let us know that self can get in the way of our worship of God, of our walk with God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he says, I die daily. Oh, I thought that was an incredible thing to say. He said, I die daily because, see, you can put self on the cross today and self will be alive and well tomorrow morning. You have to die. You have to put self on the cross daily. Luke 9, 23 says, if any man desired to come after me, let him uh, uh, deny himself, take up his cross. And Luke adds, daily. And follow me. Take up your cross. It means to die to self. The cross was a symbol of death. Self has to die. God cannot be on the throne of our lives and self too. It has to die. It's all about giving to others. It's all about giving and sharing with others. That's the whole Christian life. For God so loved the world, he gave. The whole Christian life is predicated upon giving. And we cannot be on the throne and God too. So maybe self needs to die. Or is it some relationship? Maybe some relationship that you have your eyes on more then you have your eyes on the Lord. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The word looking there in the Greek is aphorao. It's an amazing Greek word. It means to fix the gaze. It means that you're fixing your gaze upon something and you're not looking at anything else. You're fixing your gaze. The subject that the author of Hebrews is saying, looking unto Jesus. So it's fixing the gaze upon Jesus. What are you fixing your gaze on? Climbing up the corporate ladder, getting the next job, trying to find the next spouse. All those things, they have their place. But notice I said that that thing that needs to die, you're looking at it more than you're looking at your relationship with the Lord. Only you know what that is. Is it some job? And we know the Bible says a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And just by looking around, I can tell many of us, we like to eat. So that means we got to work. But are you loving work more than God? Has work become Uzziah for you that is keeping you from seeing the Lord? That any time the boss needs someone to work on weekends, Oh, here I am, my boss. I got you. All right. <laughs> I'll be in Sunday morning. Really? Really? Has work become Uzziah for you? What needs to die in your life? What is Uzziah for you? Now, see, here's the thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a good thing. See, because I, uh, Uzziah was actually a good king. 
But that good thing is now keeping you from seeing the Lord. And only you know what that is for you. It's blocking your vision from seeing God. As I mentioned, Uzziah was a good king. And what God did through him for the nation of Israel was incredible. But it wasn't until Uzziah died was when Isaiah saw the Lord. Or well, it is obvious that Isaiah was enjoying the blessings that the rest of the Israelites were enjoying under the leadership of Uzziah. But he couldn't see the Lord until Uzziah died. So my point is, that you will never see the Lord in the way that he will want you to until your Uzziah die. And only you know what that is. It's different for all of us. And I believe that the Lord is pointing out that Uzziah right now, that thing that you're pursuing, that thing that you're looking to, that thing that you have your eyes on more so than God, that's keeping you from having a vision of God. And that thing, that Uzziah needs to die. Oh, look at verses two through four. It says, above it stood seraphim. Each one has six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And, and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Now, once Uzziah died, Isaiah gets this amazing glimpse of heaven and God's throne. Uh, verse 2 says, above it stood seraphim. Now, seraphim, the Hebrew word, means burning ones. Seraph is singular. Anytime you put I-M on the end of a Hebrew word, it makes it plural, like we put S on the end of our words. Then their description is also given to us in verse 2 as having six wings. Two, he covered his face. Why? Because even though the seraphim were burning ones, they had to hide their faces from the one whose glory and brightness would blind them. Hebrews 12, 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. And even though they were the burning ones, they could not stand in the presence of the one who is a consuming fire. So they covered their faces. And with two wings, they covered their feet. Why? Because this speaks of humility. They can't help but to be humble in the presence of the one so holy. Isaiah uh, told us that these seraphim, they speak in, in verse three, and all that they could say was holy, holy, holy. Because holy is repeated three times, many scholars suggest that this is a hint to the trinity or the triunity of God. That is, the eternal God coexists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isaiah brings out the holiness of God. It's so important when it comes to him later saying, here am I, send me. Isaiah tells us in verse 4 that the very post of the door were shaken and the house filled with smoke. Oh, in other words, there are many times throughout the scripture that God manifested in physical ways, and here he is doing the same thing. 
earlier on in Isaiah's, uh, or in Israel's history, should I say, God appeared as a cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. Now, what did Isaiah say when he saw this incredible sight? This is key. Don't miss this point. When he saw this incredible sight, what did Isaiah say? Look what it says there in verse 5. So I says, woe is me for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah said, when he saw this incredible sight, Isaiah says, woe is me. Now this is incredible to me because he just spent five chapters saying, woe is this nation, woe is this nation, woe is that nation. However, when he saw the Lord, he said, woe is me. This is always the way it is whenever we have an encounter with the Lord, we always see our sinfulness. And this is the way, or this is the reason why the seraphim covered their faces and their feet up. Daniel had an encounter with the Lord in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 5, and he says, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled. Peter had an encounter with the Lord in, in Luke chapter 5 and verse 8. Jesus tells Peter, after they had been fishing all night long and caught nothing, Jesus said to Peter, hey, Peter, cast your net on the, other, on the right side and you shall find some fish. And I'm sure Peter said, you stick to preaching, let us stick to fishing. We've toiled all night and caught nothing. And I can see him saying, nevertheless, at your word, we'll do it. And he cast his net on the other side. Here's something that people so often miss. In that passage, Jesus said, cast your nets, plural. And Peter said, okay, I will cast my net, singular. I hate how the newer translations try to fix that up and either make both of them uh, singular or both of them plural. But there's a clear distinction that Jesus has cast your nets plural and he cast his net singular. So he partially obeyed the Lord. And maybe you're here today and the Lord has told you to do something you've partially obeyed. You comfort yourself by saying, I have obeyed a little bit, but you haven't all the way obeyed. You have to understand partial obedience is total disobedience. And when Peter cast his net singular on the other side, it was so many fish that his net singular was starting to break. He calls his buddies over, James and John, hey, come over and help us out. And it was so many fish, they were starting to put fish in their boat that their boat started to sink. And Peter bows down before Jesus and said, depart from me, for I'm a wicked man, O Lord. Whenever we have an encounter with God, we always see our sinfulness. 
John, the apostle John, on the island of Patmos, had an encounter with the Lord. This is John. The John the, the, he was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. He used to lean on the chest of Jesus and hear his heartbeat. The disciple whom Jesus loved on the island of Patmos, he had an encounter with the risen Savior, with the risen Jesus. And Revelation 1.17 says, when he saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Evaluate your life and see if you have been pointing the finger lately at your spouse, at your children, your coworkers, your neighbor. Says, woe is them and woe is them and woe is them and you and especially you. It shows that you have not had an encounter with the Lord lately. We have this encounter by spending significant time in his presence through prayer. It is in prayer that we see our sinfulness. And we, like Isaiah, encounter the one who is holy. It is in prayer that we get the God's heart for people. It is in prayer that we see people and this world the way God sees them. So whenever I find myself angry, upset, and frustrated with the world, pointing the finger at those people and them over there, and especially them, man, I tell you, the Lord taps me on the shoulder and says, Tony, you don't have my heart because I love the world. Isn't that what John 3.16 says? For God so loved the world. And then the Lord goes on to say, I just don't like the world, but I love the world, and I so love the world. The adverb so is placed in front of love to modify it, uh, to give it a little extra punch because how God feels about the world. It, love is not adequate to describe it, so the adverb so is placed in front of it to show it. So means to so great an extent is what the adverb means. That God just doesn't love this world. He loved this world to so great an extent that he sent his only begotten son to die for it. And did you know that you were included in that? And I'm always amazed. So whenever I find myself pointing and angry and them and those people and that group over there, boy, I tell you, the Lord says, you need to come and spend some time in my presence so you can get my heart. So you can get my heart for your family. So you can get my heart for this world. So instead of you pointing the finger, your heart will break because they're lost. Just like you were. Just like you were. Sometimes I think that we have Peter Pan syndrome. You say, well, what do you mean? Peter Pan forgot. You know, the, you know Robin Williams one from years ago, 30 years ago or so. He forgot, he, he forgot that he was in Never Never Land. He, sometimes we forgot and we forget that we used to be in the world. And we've been Christianized for so long. We talk the language and we, we, we do the things that Christians do and we forgot that we used to be lost. And so whenever you find yourself coming down on the world, 
And those people and them and those over there, and boy, especially that group, boy, they're so, man, I tell you, you have not had an encounter with God lately. And so Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am undone. Then Isaiah tells us the area. This is what blows me away. He tells us the area that he was undone in. This is mind-boggling to me. He says, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Oh, that Hebrew word for uh, unclean is tame, and it means to be unclean ethically and religiously. Wow, Isaiah said that his uncleanness was in the area of his lips or his speech. Wait a minute. Isaiah was a prophet of God, a spokesman for God, and he was unclean as far as his speech. See, our greatest weakness can be in the area of our greatest gift. And pastors and teachers and anyone speaking for God need to watch our speech because we can speak for the Lord one minute and then curse people with the same mouth. Or oh, isn't this what James warns us about in James chapter 3 and verses 9 and 10? He says, with it, referring to the tongue, we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the image of God, out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things are not to be so. He goes on to say, when you go to a drinking fountain, does it have a button for sweet water and then another button for bitter? No. You just hit the little button and out comes the good water. He said, these things are not to be so. We can't come to church and say, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. And then as soon as we walk out, we see somebody, we say, I can't stand them over there. They make me sick over there. Uh, can you believe what them, look at, look at what she got on over there. Them, and I tell you those people. He said, these things are not to be so. As Christians, we need to be very careful in this area because uh, we all want to be able to say, here am I, send me. But we, like Isaiah, are men and women of unclean lips. Maybe you have a problem with profanity, with gossip, with lying, with stretching the truth. Maybe you have a problem with these things. You know, this is amazing to me because Isaiah, he says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In other words, we need to be very careful because we can end up talking just like the very world God wants to send us to reach. We're lying, we're slandering people, we're gossiping about church members and pastors and church leaders cursing our children and spouses. This is amazing because, see, you know, when I was a teenager, my, my girlfriend, who is now my wife for over 30-some years, when we were teenagers, we've been together since we were 14. So we watched each other grow up. So we were teenagers, and she used to always say, you have the nastiest mouth, you potty mouth. Your mouth is just, man. 
And when I went into the Marine Corps and I was over in Okinawa, Japan, and there was a Marine assigned to check me in. He was a Christian. He began to share the gospel with me. I gave my life to the Lord. The first area God cleaned up was my mouth. Within one week, that foul mouth, potty mouth, I mean, I had F-bombs in every sentence. God cleaned it up. And if one slipped out, I was like horrified. Can't believe that came out. And I didn't call it French. Excuse my French. That was not French. That was English and bad English at that. God cleaned up my mouth. Uh, there was a lady last night I talked to and broken up. She said, I have, to, I have a bad mouth. I mean, I drop F-bombs all over the place. This was an older lady, too. And she was in tears about it. This should be the first area that shows that salvation has come into our lives. This right here. You know why? Watch this. Watch this. It's going to make sense when I tell you. You know why? Because the Bible says in, in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then Ephesians 3.17 said that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So if Christ is in our hearts and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, meaning that the tongue goes down into the well of the heart and brings up what is there. And if Christ is in our hearts through faith, the first place it should show up is in our mouth, our speech. And this is how it should show up. Within one week, God cleaned my potty mouth up. You know why? Because if Christ is in my heart, Christ doesn't talk like that. Christ doesn't talk like that at all. So he had to clean that up because the purpose of, uh, when, we, when we accept Christ, is that process called sanctification, where God is setting us apart from the world and making us more like Christ. It's called sanctification. The first place he sanctifies, he cleans, is our mouths. Because that's not how he talks. Remember, the purpose of it is to make us more like him. That's not how he talks. Does Christ lie? No. He said that Satan is the father of lies in John 8, 44. So lying should be gone. It should be gone. Slandering. Cursing people. James already said out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and curses. He said, no way. We just finished singing some praises to God. Then we're going to go and turn around and curse folk. Somebody cut us off. Somebody taking too long, getting out of the parking lot. Hung, hung, get away. You, I tell you. Trying to go eat. <laughs> Isaiah came to this awareness for him. When his eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, the end of verse 5 says. What happened when Isaiah confessed the uncleanness of his lips? Look at verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, <clears throat> this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. 
We see in verse 6 that one of the seraphim flew to him, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar and touched his lips with it, in verse 7, and said, your iniquity is taken away and your sin uh, purged, uh, that, that Hebrew word kofer, which means forgiven, purged, or to be atoned for. See, if you want to be able to say, here am I, send me, you have to have the coals touch your lips or that area you're unclean in. It could be your lips. It, it, it could be the way that you talk to your family. You, you may need the coals uh, touch your impure mind. You may not say a word with your lips, but your mind is thinking it. You may need the coals from the altar to touch your eyes. That which you're looking at that is unclean. Whatever is the area of your weakness, whatever is the area of your uncleanness, we need to cry out like Isaiah did and say, Lord, send your coal and burn up the uncleanness I have in this area. And he would do it like he did for Isaiah. Look what it says there in verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. Now, once Uzziah died and Isaiah had an encounter with the Lord and had his lips cleansed, he could properly hear the voice of the Lord speak to him and say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The us there is another indication of the Trinity. God is a perfect gentleman, if you would notice. He will always ask. And now Isaiah was ready to say, here am I, send me. I want you to watch this because the way that the Hebrew reads in this verse is, behold me, look at me, Lord. Oh, it fits perfectly with 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9 that said, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. And Isaiah is saying, ooh, 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 Lord, send me, send me, Lord. You remember when we used to know the answer when we were in school and the teacher asked, well, who know the answer to number six? Ooh, teacher, ooh. That's what Isaiah was doing. You remember when we didn't know the answer? We tried to hide behind somebody's head. I, I used to knock my pencil on the floor so I'd be down, down there, you know, playing around with it so she, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't pick me. This is what Isaiah is doing here. Ooh, ooh, Lord. Because I know that your eyes are going to and fro throughout the earth. Ooh, ooh, Lord, pick me. Pick me. I wonder if that's our hearts today. Are we excited, enthusiastic? Are we saying, Lord, ooh, send me. Or are we spiritually trying to hide behind the head of someone else? so the Lord wouldn't pick us. Isaiah was all about it. He was like, ooh, send me, Lord. 
send me. Let me wrap it up with this. The Lord wants to send us to reach this world, but before he does, our Uzziah must die first. Whatever that is in our lives, and this is through confession to him, because I believe that the Lord has shown you what that is and who that is for you. Secondly, we must have an encounter with the Lord where we see our sinfulness and stop pointing the finger saying, woe is everyone. And this is only through prayer, only spend a significant time in prayer. It's still rightfully said that the average American spends seven to eight hours watching TV every day. What if we just took one of those hours and just said, we're going to dedicate it to God in prayer? You remember Jesus said, could you not watch with me one hour? Just one hour in prayer. We will have that encounter with the Lord. Thirdly, we must have the coals from the altar touch that area of weakness, that area of uncleanness in our lives. And after this takes place, then we will be in a place to hear God's voice says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then you will be ready to say, like Isaiah, here am I, send me. May we, by God's grace, be in the state spiritually to be used mightily of God. God is looking. God is looking. But so often we're trying to hide to keep him and to keep his eyes from looking at us. But God wants to use us in a mighty way. His eyes are still searching for people to use. Are you a willing vessel? Do you have a desire to be used by God? Or are you content with just sitting in a chair, coming whenever it's convenient? There's people at our church in Virginia, they come to church maybe once or twice every six weeks, eight weeks. They're okay with that. Oh, they're just busy, you know, the kids. I got, uh, got stuff to do. But expect to spend eternity with God and can't spend one hour a week. And then if you're super duper spiritual, you come on Wednesdays. <laughs> Boom. Wow. That means you're part of the elite. <laughs> I, I laugh to keep me from crying at American Christianity. Because I look at Christianity in the New Testament, and I look at Christianity here in this great country that I love, and, and my heart breaks for it. My heart breaks. I look at the world. I don't blame the world for the condition that it's in. I blame the church. I blame God's people. Last time I checked, it said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and watch this, and turn from their wicked ways, then I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, watch this, and heal their land. If the land isn't healed, (laughs) 
it could be because we as his people, we aren't turning from our wicked ways. How much time I got left, honey? Oh, God bless you. She's my timekeeper, and she forgot to keep time. <laughs> Amen. You know how they say, you only got one job, one job to do. <laughs> Amen. I think there's a, there's a clock over there somewhere. All right, I got to wrap it up. I got to wrap it up. There are some of you here who you think you're, a Christian, you think you're born again. George Barner put out a statistic some 20 years ago that blew my mind. He says 50% of everyone, this is across the nation, who attend church, 50% of them, half of them, are not born again. They think they are, but they're not born again. That blew my mind. I said, he said, half the people sitting in churches across America on any given Sunday are not Christians at all. They think they are. They're not born again. Watch this. The proof is in the pudding. The proof that you're a Christian is in your lifestyle. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Many of you, you're not changed at all. You're still the same old person you've been. If some of your old friends see you say, oh, boy, and spend a few moments with you, boy, you the same old boy you've been your whole life. You should go home and cry and repent to the Lord because there should be something different about us. <laughs> when I came back from being in Okinawa, Japan, after being over there for a year, I came back to my wife. She knew that I had an encounter with God. She knew just by listening to me talk. She knew it. We're going to give you an opportunity to get right with God. Because do you know if you died right now, you'll go to heaven? Not because you sat in a chair. That don't mean a thing. Or maybe you prayed a prayer back in 19 so-and-so. Doesn't matter. Are you different? Are you more like Christ? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Are you more loving? more kind, joyful, more patient, meek, humble, long-suffering. That's how you judge your life, not by how many times you sit in the chair. It's whether you're, the fruit is coming forth from your life. If you can't say, and your wife can't say it, you're not born again, but you can be before you leave here today. There are some that need to, you, you, you're born again, but you, you backslid. You need to come back home, come back home to God. There are others, you, you have an uncleanness. Whatever that is, maybe it's your mouth, your eyes, your mind. You need to get that right with God. That's why you're here, to get right with him. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your word. We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will move. Lord, I sense that you've moved in here like never before. Lord, stir the hearts of your people now. And as every head is still bowed and eye is closed, if you're here today and you don't know, if you died right now, you're a Christian. There's no fruit of the evidence of Christ in your life. I want you to raise your hand. Slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. Slip your hand up. God bless you. I see you over there. Anyone else? 
Anyone else? I can barely see you out there, but lift your hand up. If there's no change in your life, I need you praying right now. I don't need you walking around and fooling around. This is a time of prayer. This is people doing business with God. Just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. God bless you. Anyone else? Now, for those who slipped your hand up, I, I want you to stand right now. Stand up wherever you are. Stand up. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Stand to your feet. Don't be ashamed. This is between you and God. People are praying right now. They're praying for you. Anyone else? Stand up on your feet. I see you back there and back there. I want you to repeat this prayer to me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross for my sin and was buried and rose again. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. Help me to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.